Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. All right, good morning. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, welcome to uh, welcome to OVV. Um, again, uh, we're about to go through uh, a message here together and uh, look at God's Word. And I uh, just want to invite you to, uh, as, as always, you know, with your critical thinking caps on, and, and especially if you're here and you're investigating Christianity, you're sort of asking questions about whether God is real, if this is something that could be a significant uh, relationship in your life, this relationship with Jesus. We want you to really uh, wrestle with those questions that, that come up as we talk and then talk to somebody else afterwards. But the hope is that this will be uh, really just an authentic encounter with the Word of God, a chance to get to know Him. One of the things it says in the Scriptures uh, is to just taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's what we hope will uh, happen as we do worship together and as we do teaching together, is you'll have an opportunity to sort of uh, encounter uh, a bit of who Jesus is and begin to track towards him, begin to get to uh, know him better. So we're starting a, a new series uh, called All In, with a question mark, All In. It's really a question that we're asking ourselves and a question that I'm, I'm asking myself all the time. Uh, trying to really understand what, what's written here is our complex relationship uh, with God's beautiful, messy church and its ambitious, risky, insanely audacious and preposterous mission to reveal the glory of God in all the world. Uh, that is uh, a question for a lot of us, a question that a lot of us uh, sort of wrestle with uh, as, as Christians, like how committed can I be to this thing? Uh, how much do I want to show up? How much of myself, my time, my energy, my resources do I want to uh, invest in this thing? There would be some people who we know and love that would be our friends who would feel like they would never darken the door of a church or want to be involved in it uh, whatsoever. There are people that we know and love that have been hurt by the church and feel like they would never come in again because of some hurt that they're carrying with them. Uh, for some of us, church uh, is, is positioned in different ways. For some of us, it's just sort of a weekly activity that we grew up doing and was something that was familiar. And we feel like we love that familiarity of coming back to that space again. Uh, for some of us, it's a, it's a sense of radical commitment. And we're all at different spots on the spectrum uh, of that. But what I really want to do with this series is to kind of like take some of that stuff and, and put it aside a little bit and begin to sort of look at the church, not from the perspective of what is my relationship to it, although uh, that, that's a part of it, but really what's God's relationship to it? And let that relationship that God has with his church, that image that God has of his church, uh, begin to inform what our image is of the church and how we ought to relate to it. So we're going to examine over the next few weeks a number of different texts where uh, there are illustrations of the church. Like we've heard, all heard the phrase, the body of Christ. We've heard uh, we, that you are the temple of God, different things like that. And we just want to examine them and say, hey, how does God see the church and how might we see it better? I'm going to steal a story from another pastor, a guy named Dan McDonald. Some of these stories, it's always better to steal from someone else because uh, if I do my own story, then you might think I'm talking about you um, or talking talking about a friend of yours. But Dan McDonald shares this story about, uh, about a person in his church, and all of us as pastors have these stories, and you have these stories for your friends, and maybe it's a story you're in the middle of. 
But uh, he tells the story of uh, a person who came to his church, a person who came to his church in a difficult time. Uh, he and his, this man and his wife had been going through a divorce, been going through a challenging circumstance. But he came to the church and finally found a community that felt like it was home, felt like it was a place that he could belong in, felt like it was a place that he could connect in, felt like it was a place that he loved. And, and this man sort of took uh, Pastor Dan out. I don't need to be called Pastor Aaron, by the way. You can just call me Aaron. But took uh, Pastor Dan out and said, hey, uh, man, I love this church. I'm so grateful for it. It's such an amazing place. And this was just a little church plant that had started up in Toronto. And, uh, and they were sort of meeting in a school similar to us and all of that. And, uh, and Dan was excited. This person's in. This person's sold out. This person's bought into the church and the community and what it is. Thrilled. And the person sort of stayed with the church, you know, participating fairly positively for about a year, coming out frequently, uh, enjoying the community, connecting with others, maybe starting to track towards leadership on some level. And then just as sometimes happens in churches, this person uh, just disappeared person just disappeared and, and kind of went away and, and was no longer attending. And, and Dan, knowing that some of his congregation was a bit transient and some people coming, some people going, didn't uh, follow it up you know, maybe as fast as he would have liked to, but uh, he eventually followed up, uh, gave this person a text, and immediately got a call back. And, uh, and, and the guy said, Pastor Dan, it's so great to hear from you. Uh, my life is doing well. I've overcome some of the pain and stuff that I was struggling with when we were together. Uh, I've had a, a good experience. Um, I, I, I found another church to go to. Everything is great. And, and Pastor Dan just sort of asked the question that we all pastors kind of ask, like, so where did you go? <laughs> you know, like, where, where did you go? And, uh, and, and the guy said, well, Pastor Dan, I was driving by church uh, one day, and what had happened in the church is that they were a church plant, they were meeting in a school, they didn't have enough parking, and they were required to park on the lawn. And the school eventually said, our lawn is getting ripped up, you can't park in the lawn, you've got to park in the neighborhood. And Pastor uh, Dan has sort of arranged this and announced it and everything else. And this guy sort of had driven by church one Sunday morning, coming in a little bit late. I drove by Pastor Dan and I saw a sign up saying I couldn't park on the lawn, and I just kept driving. I just kept driving. It's like for this guy, church was amazing, powerful, wonderful experience. But if there wasn't a parking spot, I just keep driving. And I think, you know, I have experiences like that too. And maybe it's not about parking spot, but, but I as a pastor and other pastors in the community have these experiences where, you know, uh, somebody will say, you know, I just feel like I'm not getting fed or... I just feel like this or I feel like that. And, and, and they jump out. And sometimes people jump not just to another church. I feel like if somebody is, is leaving and jumping to another church, they're not really leaving the body of Christ, right? We can really sort of bless somebody doing that. But it's always wonderful to have communication. But sometimes people just drift off and go nowhere because uh, something isn't quite right in their relationships. Uh, in, in the case of of myself, sometimes it's maybe mistakes I've made. Maybe it's uh, a way I've led poorly, or maybe I've I've hurt people. My ministry hasn't been perfect. My leadership hasn't been perfect. But people come in and out of the church, and they drift. and And we who are leaders, we feel grief over that, and wrestle with it, and struggle, and all of that. But it leads us to this question. Uh, what does church really mean to people in our society? I mean, we, we want to have a place that feels warm and beautiful and like home where you would come and worship with us and it would just feel like it's a place that is your spiritual home. And that's something that we, we long to create and we want to have 
parking spaces and we strive uh, to do better and better as worship teams and I strive to do graphics and sermon presentations well and we try to do greeting well and we try to do all of these things to create a, an experience for you that feels like it's uh, welcome and home and family. But one of the concerns that, that go along with that is that we would be inadvertently creating a culture around church that is based on consumerism that's based on, hey, come to the church and let it meet your needs as though the church might be some, and this is again uh, Dan's illustration, not mine, uh, that the church is some sort of spiritual fitness club or health club and your pastor is your personal trainer. And one, I'm a terrible personal trainer. (laughs) But church just has to be more than that. Like it's one, we actually want to be that. We want everybody to grow spiritually. We want everybody to grow deep in their relationship with God. We want to be doing sermons that are, that are meaty and healthy and going to nourish you. And the same with home churches. But, and and so, that, so that's all good. That's, that's sort of a piece of who church is. And that's something that we're striving to do well. But man, we actually believe the church is much, much, much more than that. Much, much more than that. And, uh, you know, we could have a building plan or a building project, and it could be a building. We know, all know a church isn't a building. Uh, what the real question for us is, is what is the real purpose of it? Like, what is the real purpose of church? Like, is it to be a filling station for you, a place where you come in and get filled up with uh, the presence of God once a week so you can go leak all week and then get filled up when you come back? And if you don't leak very fast, you can come every two weeks. I don't know how, how, that all, how that all works. Maybe the people who come only two weeks are people that really don't leak very fast. Like that, that's, that could be how it goes. I don't know. Uh, but uh, what, what is it really about? Like if it's more than just uh, a program that we're delivering for you, what really is it? What was it in the early church? What was it uh, in, through church history? Uh, what was it in Jesus and Paul's time? What, what was he really teaching about this entity called the church? And so I just want to start with a couple of texts. We're going to read a little bit in Ephesians and in 2 Peter. But I'm going to start with this piece in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 3. Uh, and we're just going to read a couple of verses, verses 8 to 10. And this is Paul speaking to the church, uh, to this congregation that he's writing to. And he's just saying, you know what? Uh, one, I'm the least of apostles. I'm, I'm nobody. So Paul was a humble guy. But uh, this grace was given to me. This ministry that I have as an apostle was given to me for a reason. I want to explain to you why I do what I do. And it's something that I, I, I want to, you to understand about me as a pastor too. But, but because, because I think I see church as, as being something really big. Um, but, but Paul understands it far better than I ever will. And so he says this. He says, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan for the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. His intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We're going to unpack that a little bit because there's some really big thoughts in there about the church, okay? Like, let's, just, let's just start with this little bit here. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan. Okay, Paul is doing everything he's doing. Paul is planting churches. He is building churches. And he understands that he's doing it to bring to light something of the plan of God. 
The plan for the mystery hidden for all ages in God who created all things. Like this is not a small plan. This is like the mystery hidden for ages. This is the big enchilada. This is the big deal. This is uh, the very revelation of the person of Jesus Christ to the world. And so Paul is saying, I want to bring that plan to light for everyone. This great mystery hidden for all the ages. That word plan there uh, means really the administration, the management, the working out of something. I want you to understand how the plan, the mystery, Mystery, the great mystery of God is meant to be worked out. It's meant to be administrated. It's meant to happen on a very, very practical level. That's what Paul is saying. God's intent, that word intent is setting forth in advance for a specific purpose. God set out in, in the beginning with a very, very specific purpose for his church. That the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and principalities and authorities in heavenly places uh, to be broadly proclaimed, to be, uh, to be declared. The mystery of God to be declared, not just to your friends, not just to uh, your relatives, not just to your schoolmates, not just to your workmates, but the mystery of God declared to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. The purpose of the church is to preach the gospel to the cosmos, to preach the gospel to every spiritual power that exists that has ever been created, that lives, that has its being under God. That is the purpose of the church, to proclaim the mysteries of the wisdom of God. That seems a little bit bigger than coming to Sunday morning and hoping there's a parking space, doesn't it? You're called to something really, really big, to make this known And it's not just making this thing known, but it's meant to be made known through the church. That was the plan. Not to make it known through, like, like I I think the heavenly uh, authorities can probably know what happened when Jesus died on the cross, when he uh, rose from the grave and that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. I think his authority exists in that way and every spiritual power knows. But at the same time, The good, great, amazing plan is for that to be declared to all of them through you, through the church. So when you worship, when you come, when you gather on Sunday morning and you raise your hands and you cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You're not just saying that to the Father. You're not just saying that to the person that is sitting beside you. You are saying that in the heavenly realms for all to hear. There's something significant that happens when we gather like this. This is not something we skip because we want to stay home and watch Netflix. This is the real deal. This is what changes the world. This gathering here and now. 
through the instrumentality, through the church. The church is the instrument through which the praises of God are sung in all the earth. And this church is not just a person. It's not just one person. It's not just a, 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 a guy somewhere. It's the ecclesia, that word for church, is the called out ones. You are called out from the place where you live. You are called out from your workplace. You are called out from your school. You are called out from your home. You are called out from somewhere to gather and hear. That word ecclesia, you've heard me teach it before. It's the same word that they would use when a Roman official would come into a little town and say, I have an announcement from Caesar. Come ecclesia, come gather, come out of your homes, come out of your shops, come to the center of town, leave those places, close the door to your shop, close the door to your home, lock it behind you, come to the center square and hear this thing that we need to hear together. And then go and do the thing that you've been told to be called out from and to be called to. That's what the ecclesia is. That's what the church is. You are called out from something to something. To hear a message, to deliver a message. There is the purpose of God for you as a church to be communicators of the message of God by the way you gather. To hear him and then to declare to the heavens that he is king of kings and lord of lords. There is a great purpose in this. This is not your fitness club. I hope it's that, but that's not all it is. It's so much more. So from eternity, God set out to administrate the release of his wisdom, his revelation to all the earth through the church. That's how it goes out. To put it another way, the cosmos cannot get what God is giving unless it goes through you. Do you hear that? The cosmos does not get what God is saying to it unless that word flows through you. Through your praises. Through gathering. And through declaring the wonders of God. You are not small potatoes. You are significant. And so when we gather and worship and we raise our hands, there's something really big happening. And we want to do it better. We want to do it louder. We want to do it clearer. But man, we have got to do it. So <laughs> that's the introduction to the series. There's more than just one way that we're called to do this. There's more than one way that we're called to be this. Uh, so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to examine just some of the biblical images for the church and how it works. How does this mystery of the church declaring the glory of God in the whole earth, how does it work? How does it happen? Like, what are the images that God uses to describe that? And so we're going to just read another little piece in the scriptures. We're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. 
I'm just going to read this text. It was read already during worship, but we're going to read it again and let it just sink into our hearts. And then we're really just going to unpack the first few verses of it. But I want to let, I think there's power in reading of the scriptures, right? So we want to just uh, engage with that. Uh, why don't we pray before we read? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this incredible, incredible book that's been handed down to us and curated and nurtured and studied and cared for. We love your word, oh God. We recognize its authority. We recognize its power to transform us, to make us new, to grow us. We love your word, oh God. Thank you for speaking to us. Holy Spirit, would you come and inhabit uh, your word and apply it to our hearts? Make us new, we pray. Holy Spirit, highlight the things that you want highlighted to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So uh, Peter's saying this to uh, a group of people he's writing to. He says, as you come to him, a living stone, so Jesus is a living stone that's been rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, and just want to just land on that for a second. It is important that things stand in Scripture. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. A great text if anybody's arguing about Calvinism and Arminianism. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. Again, that word proclaim, right? The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what are you called to be? What is the image we're talking about here? We're talking about Jesus as a living stone, us as a living stones being built into what? Being built into a spiritual house. And this is an image for the church. You're being built into a spiritual house. We have some bricks here. We're going to talk about them later because we're talking about building a little bit. How many of you have any uh, experience in the trades? Have ever done some framing, done some building? a little bit of that. That's sort of how early in the days of planting the church, we uh, did a little bit of that uh, just to pay the bills and all of it, all of that. Actually built some churches uh, and was a part of some of those projects. So it was pretty fun. Um, but let's just begin to just unpack this text together. 
As you all come to him, a living stone, the cornerstone, uh, rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. And I just want to rest for a second on that phrase as you. Because sometimes when we read you in the scriptures, we get it translated in English, and we can sometimes read you as individuals. But this one is a you plural, like you guys. Uh, the people in southern the states have this figured out a little bit better. They would say all y'all, right? All y'all, okay? So all you guys, all in the valley we would say all yous guys, right? So all yous, all yous guys, right? All yous guys, uh, as yous guys come to him. I'm going to get that stuck in my head now. I'm going to say that <laughs> somewhere, yeah. As yous guys come to him. You guys are people that are coming to him, right? Are you coming to him? Are you coming to him? Like, are you here for him? Are you coming to him? You're not coming to me. You're not coming to a worship service. You're coming to him. When you are coming to the church, you are coming to him. The cornerstone, the main stone, the big kahuna, the big enchilada. You're coming to Jesus, right? You're coming to Jesus. You're coming to him a living stone, and then so much theology in that, uh, and that we're going to just have to breeze right over. But talking about really about him having been rejected, but chosen by God, right? His death and his resurrection, right? Like so uh, important. Um, but he's the cornerstone. He's not just any stone. As we draw or approach, we approach, and what this word implies is with reverence and in hope. So you can approach running like, woohoo! But this just implies something a little bit different. I don't know how significant it is or how important it was when Peter was writing this text, but it means like approaching like you're approaching uh, a little, uh, uh, something really precious, something special, right? So we're approaching with some humility. We're approaching with some caution. We're approaching with some care, like, like he is significant and we're not just uh, goofing around here. We're approaching something special, okay? So we're approaching him, uh, the cornerstone, and when you think about Cornerstone, uh, you know, I thought immediately went to uh, the temple in Jerusalem. And what you can see on your screen here is a, a picture of one of the cornerstones on the western wall of the temple in Jerusalem. And when I was there like a long, long time ago, 20 years ago, I was actually able to lay my hands on that stone and touch it. It's where the west wall and the south wall turn uh, in the original uh, building that was built just a little bit before the time of Jesus by Herod. But that stone, one of the cornerstones in the wall, and this is like four stones stories above where they've excavated. So we don't know how big the stones are at the very foundation of that temple building in Jerusalem. That stone is 30 or 43 inches high, seven feet wide and 39 feet long. That's not a corner pebble, right? That's a cornerstone. That's something uh, significant that is meant to hold something together. That stone is meant to have things resting on top of it. It is meant to have things uh, built on top of it. And so when Peter was writing this, right, Peter was the, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, right? So he could well have walked by this place dozens and dozens and dozens of times on his way to the temple and be thinking of stones like this. And be thinking Jesus is just like one of these massive cornerstones and all of these other stones are just meant to be built into it. This stone is what anchors everything and holds it together. These are the images that are important. 
uh, to Peter. And the purpose, of course, in a cornerstone, as we said, is uh, for something to be built up around it, right? You don't have a cornerstone that is just off here being a cornerstone all by itself, right? You don't come to a cornerstone, like visit a cornerstone and pop, off, pop by and say, hey, cornerstone, how are you? Just, you are a really nice stone. I really like you, cornerstone. You're so square and you're so strong and you're so heavy. You're just a fantastic stone, right? The cornerstone is made and exists to have... Uh, something built to it. You, as you approach that cornerstone, you aren't approaching uh, with the role of observing the cornerstone, Jesus. You aren't approaching it with thinking, huh, maybe that cornerstone would be just an important part of my life. I'm just going to carry a little Jesus around with me here. I'm so grateful I've got some cornerstone around with me. You're approaching the cornerstone knowing that your relationship is going to be significant and that you're actually going to be oriented around it. Your life is meant to be oriented around the life of Jesus with his purpose of building the church. Your life is not meant to be like take him with you, put him in your back pocket and go about your business. Your life becomes oriented around this incredible uh, thing that he is and this incredible thing that he's building. It means to be built into an edifice. It's the same place we get this word uh, encourage. It's meant to be something that is seen, something that is visible, something that stands above the sidewalk, something that stands above the street. Many of us think that our faith is something that can be uh, something that we can sort of just sort of keep to ourselves and keep quiet and sort of like keep on the DL. We're talking about baptism this over these couple of weeks. Like, if your faith is like you're keeping it on the DL, you don't want to uh, sort of proclaim it to the world around you. You don't want other people to know. No, your faith is meant to be an edifice. It's meant to be something that others can see and observe and look at. It's meant to be public. It's meant to declare something to the word world. And this uh, this word um, edify is the same word that we see in Matthew 16:8. You are Peter and on this rock I will build this I will edifice my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. it, it it's meant to have a function relative to hell a function relative to the world outside it, a function relative to your friends and neighbors and the cosmos. It exists not just for you as an individual, you're being built into something really big and really significant. And so what sort of edifice, of course, is the church being built into is the question, like what does that house look like? What does a spiritual house mean? And it's really interesting in the, in the, uh, in the language, in the Greek, that word spiritual house is a word that actually uh, speaks of home, it speaks of family, it speaks of, of belonging, it's a place of dwelling, right? That's what that word means, that spiritual uh, dwelling place. So the edifice you're being built into is a spiritual dwelling place. Well, who's it a dwelling place for? Who, who lives there? God. This thing that's being built is, is literally the living place, the dwelling place of God in the earth. What it's pointing to is, is the temple. And I want us to just really, really quickly go back uh, in, in the story, like, a long way. Like, where was the first tabernacle? Where was the first place God dwelled with people? The garden. Right? 
That's the first place God dwelled with people. Adam and Eve walked in the garden and God walked with them. And he dwelt there. He dwelt with Adam and Eve, uh, with the with the prototype humans. He had relationship with them. He had friendship with them because it was God's desire to always dwell with his people. It's always God's desire to dwell with his people. What happened when we saw uh, the Israelite people sort of go into exile, the sons of Abraham go into exile into Egypt and come back? What, what happened when they were finally gathered as a nation, as a community again? Well, God wanted to dwell with them. Uh, this incredible uh, tabernacle that we have that has the Ark of the Covenant in it, what does that Ark of the Covenant symbolize? It's a, it's a box, and it's uh, uh, you know, some, some seraphim with wings over it. What did they call it? Can anybody remember what those, what those wings were? Sorry? The seraphim, yeah. It's called the mercy seat, right? That's where God sits. So God sits on the wings of the seraphim and his feet rest on the box. That's his footstool. Remember I mentioned that yesterday. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. The very purpose of God is to dwell with his creatures, to dwell with his people, to dwell in your lives, to dwell in the church, to be here, to be present to us. Uh, what happened when uh, Solomon came along and then eventually Herod, they built a physical building, a temple, which is called what? The house of God. Right? It's the house of God. Amazing story uh, in terms of where this temple is built, right? The temple in Jerusalem uh, was built on top of Mount Moriah. We have a story about Mount Moriah early on in, uh, in sort of the, the biblical record in the, in the Torah. Where, do you, remember, you guys remember Jacob? Right? Jacob used to, uh, came to the, this incredible place on the top of the mountain. And he had this dream, right, where he wrestled with God and he saw a ladder. Uh, ascending up and down, angels ascending up and down in this place. And he said, surely this place is the house of God. And so it says in that text, surely this place is the house of God. And eventually that's where they built the temple because that's where God lived. So we saw the house of God. So that's where uh, the temple was built. So we have this incredible temple building. Where was the next temple after this one was destroyed uh, shortly after the time of Jesus? There was another temple that existed just before this one was destroyed. You may destroy this temple. In three days, it will be rebuilt again. Jesus, the manifestation, the dwelling place of God on earth. It's the third temple. Where's the temple? Where's the temple now? It's right here. I'm in the temple. This is the temple of God on earth. This is place where almighty God, creator of the whole earth, creator of the heavens, who breathed the universe into existence with a word, rests his feet in this place. This is where his presence is. You ask anybody in town where to go to find the presence of God, they're still going to tell you to go try a church. Because where two or three are gathered in his name, there he will dwell. 
there he will dwell. And we're called to be a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood. We're called to be that linkage between our friends and the presence of God that's in the temple. There's no link to your friends. There's no link to our community. There's no link to the 26,000 people in this region that we want to find and have relationship with Jesus. There's no link between God and them unless you are that link. Unless our church is that link. Unless we build this thing that people can come to together. Unless we build this edifice of bodies, of life, of community, of living stones together and create a way to build more and more people in and build the structure that's necessary to connect with people and love them. The temple has to be the people knit tightly together in community, resting their weight on one another, resting uh, the weight of their need, the weight of their love on one another, being aligned with one another, being aligned with the cornerstone, built into something, many things, made into one. C.S. Lewis uh, does an incredible job of helping us understand this in The Four Loves. Uh, He's he's writing in a section on friendship, and he talks about uh, what happened to his group of friends. He's talking about C.S. Lewis and, of course, himself and J.R.R. Tolkien and Charles Charles Williams and um, uh, some other men who we we call the Inklings used to meet together and to read and theologize and and, and talk about God in pubs. And uh, his friend Charles died, and he um, he, he describes what happened to his network of friendships in this way. He says this, In each of my friends there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. But I myself am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets, to show the facets of all his friendships. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. For from having more of Ronald, far from having more of Ronald, of having him to myself now that Charles is out of the way, I now have less of Ronald. I have less of him. Because I'm not sitting in a room with Ronald and hearing the joke that Charles made make Ronald smile. I don't get that Ronald smile because Charles is no longer in the room. I need that other person to see all of Ronald. And C.S. Lewis obviously makes the bigger connection here a little bit further on. He says, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself. Where the very multitude of the blessed which no man can number, increases the fruition which each has of God. For every soul, seeing him in its own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. Right? So when you're there, here in church, and you're seeing something of the glory and the beauty of God, and you're sharing it in a small group, sharing it in a home group, you're showing the rest of the community about the beauty of God that you've seen, and they can't see that piece of the beauty of God unless you show it to them, unless they see it through your eyes. And you can't see that piece of the beauty of God that he wants to show you unless you see it reflected in them. 
goes on. That, that, says the old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, 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 to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Is not just proclaimed to the Father, it's proclaimed to the other seraphim. Just like what we proclaim in worship is not just proclaimed to us, but it's proclaimed to our friends and it's proclaimed to the heavens. It's proclaimed to the rulers and powers. The more we thus share uh, the heavenly bread between us, the more we all shall have. So we encounter Jesus together. We're rich. It takes a group to know an individual, right? You can't know an individual unless you uh, are part of a group, really. You can't know that person unless you see how... You guys can't really know me that well unless you see how I love my wife. You can't know me as well as, as, a, as I would like you to know me unless you see me you know, in this context or that context. You can't know God either. Uh, it takes a group to bring out the whole person. How much more true is this of God? You just can't know God by yourself. You can't be a Christian by yourself. I know, I know many people think they can. They think they can stay home and they can watch podcasts and, and be a Christian or, or live a Christian life that's completely independent of community. And you guys know lots of people like that that are trying to do it. You need to call them to be built in as living stones, to be built in as part of the community because they just can't know all of God unless they're here or at Calvary Pentecostal, or at any of the other wonderful churches in town. But they can't know God unless they're part of this whole thing, and they're built in together. And you certainly can't represent him by yourself. You think you can contain the whole beauty of God and proclaim it to your friends by yourself? How much, what percentage of God do you think each of you have got? What percentage of God do I have? Like... Maybe point zero 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 percent Right? It takes a community proclaiming the beauty of God. So, you know, we're in different places, right? Some of us, some of us are like, you know, the church says this is our representation of our church, these bricks. I've got it very neatly. Maybe our bricks are messier than this, but, but this is kind of what it looks like. But, but how do you relate to this thing? You know, different ones of us relate in different ways. There, there are people that you know that are like, you know what, I don't want anything to do that. I'm going to keep my brick all the way over here. And they're friends that you would never, ever be able to invite to come to church. They just wouldn't come. But could you maybe call them and maybe invite them and say, you know, if you want to live and know Jesus, would you consider moving your brick just a little closer over to here? Some of you might be looking at church, looking at community and gathering and saying, man, I really like this building here and I kind of like to snug up to it, but I'm just sort of going to let my little side of church just start building out that way. I'm just going to let sort of one side of me snug up to the church and orient to it, but I'm really going to just do my own thing out here. And then when I don't feel like it, I'm just going to just sort of, my brick's got legs and it's just going to move itself wherever it wants, whenever it wants. And maybe I'll orient just this part of myself to it sometime. Whatever sort of feels good in the moment, that's, that's how I'll orient myself to the community of God's people. There's some of us who are like, man, I just really want to belong. I really want to be part of it. I want to connect with it. I really want to be built on top. I really want to attend. I really want to be regular. I really want to connect with this thing frequently. I, I, I believe in it. I really like it. 
but please, I don't want to lead. I don't want to do anything. Please don't build anything on top of me. Please don't let me bear any responsibility. Please don't let me bear, bear any weight. I, I don't like that feeling. I want to be over here. Just please let me be on top. I don't want, I don't want anybody to lean on me. But orienting yourself to the community, orienting yourself to church means letting yourself come and be built and be oriented and be connected and to allow the rest of the weight of community and connection to sit on you. Uh, there's one stone that's in the temple of Jerusalem that this is the largest stone that they found yet so far in the temple of Jerusalem. And it's a, a very large stone that's built because there's an arch that was originally leaning against it, so it needed to have quite a bit of lateral strength for a ramp that was going up to the temple. Uh, this stone is um, 12 feet high, 15 feet deep, and 45 feet long. And it weighs about 470 tons, and it's the second largest known building stone on the planet. And it's, not, it, it, and it's four stories above the foundation, and they don't know what the foundation looks like. Uh, in, uh, in, in 70 AD, when the temple was uh, destroyed, when it was taken over uh, by Titus and his soldiers, 100,000 soldiers sacked Jerusalem and took that place and took it over. Um, and they found this stone. They pushed off as many stones as they could and, uh, and, and, and tried to destroy them, tried to, to tear down the temple. And when they got to that stone, they stopped. They tried everything that they could do. There's no mortar holding this stone in. These stones are just dry fitted one on top of the other. And they did everything they could to try to push this stone and destroy it because he knew it was a symbol uh, to the Jewish people of, of their, of their uh, building skill, of their power, of their strength. And, and the stone broke the soldiers. The soldiers didn't break the stone. That's the cornerstone that we as a church, we OVV, and we the other churches in Carlton Place are being built into. You're being built into something that cannot be shaken. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be broken. An earthquake won't touch it. The pains and the griefs and the sorrows of life will not destroy it. You can orient yourself to Jesus and his church with confidence. He loves you and he will not be shaken and he will not move. Draw near to the stone. Draw near to the stone. No matter what your relationship with the church has been like, like you've been hurt, maybe you've been hurt by me, come talk to me, maybe you've been hurt uh, by others, maybe uh, church has just been, eh, it's been kind of irrelevant. But would you uh, let yourself consider being built into this edifice with us? Leading, serving, caring for our kids in Sunday school, uh, helping facilitate the gathering, helping with sound, moving chairs, doing whatever it is, just doing the practical things that we need to do to put more people under the roof, to echo the praises of God to the cosmos, to disciple people, to lead them, to see transformation, to care for them. Will you be built into this thing in a new way? 
Why don't we just stand and just allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us for just a moment. The question we started with stands, are we all in? Are we all in? Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come and to speak to each one of us. And show us, you know, where our little brick is in relationship to this incredible body that you're building. Are we the ones scared of having some weight on top of us? Are we scared of being connected with the thing at all? Are we just allowing ourselves to be connected loosely and be visitors to your building? How are you drawing us each in? How are you building us in? Holy Spirit, would you just come in this moment and speak to hearts? I'm just going to take a moment of silence and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. How does he want to build you in to his temple, his spiritual home? Holy Spirit, we want to respond to these little nudges that you're giving. Father, I pray for anyone in this space who hasn't yet even identified themselves with you and with your church, who hasn't given their heart to you, who hasn't accepted uh, your gift of salvation. Would you just invite them by your power to come to the living stone, come to the cornerstone, and begin to orient their life towards you. Would you save someone today? Would you call someone to your cross? And for all the rest of us, as you've spoken, would you just build us in closer? Would you orient us to you? Would you fit us together according to your uh, divine purpose and your plan to build out of Ottawa Valley Vineyard the church that you want to build? To declare your praises, to declare your glory wherever we're called to say it. We commit ourselves to your purpose and your plan, God. Would you reach your world through us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.